trust you've all found your place. Romans 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reading of your holy and sacred word. And Father, we ask that you would bless us in this hour, that, Father, you would be pleased to teach us and instruct us, uh, to show us wonderful things uh, from your word as the psalmist, uh, as the psalmist petitions. And Father, we pray that not only would you show us wonderful things, but Father, you would be pleased to uh, bless these things to our hearts in such a way, Father, that it would further our love for you and further our obedience to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning, I want to speak about three things. Uh, they're, they're wonderful things. Uh, they're things that we all like and things we really can't live without. The first is, I guess we could live without gifts. The first one's gifts. But we like gifts, don't we? I mean, is there anybody here that doesn't like to get a gift? Gifts are great. Uh, second thing is uh, purpose. You know, once in a while, someone will want to speak with me or I'll get in a conversation with somebody. And in the course of that, that conversation, I'll discover that they're, they're suffering from really not being able to identify any kind of purpose in their life. Uh, if some of you have gone through seasons like that where you just didn't feel like you had any purpose, you know the pain that that causes. Uh, it's very oppressive. Well, what's the point? What am I here for? What am I really doing? You know, if I disappeared, what difference would it make? And there's a lot of people who feel that way. Purpose is very, very important. And the third thing I want to talk about this morning is cause. You know, you put a good cause in front of a group of people and it's amazing what we can do and accomplish, isn't it? If you put the right cause in front of us, I mean, it's amazing how we roll our sleeves up and, and how resources will find themselves on the table and available for use. It, it's just quite amazing. Uh, causes, a good cause is a great motivator. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through a very dense and tightly packed portion of God's Word. Amen? I mean, verses 1 through 7, you can read that and you can scratch your head and say, what did I just read? I don't know. Maybe we should just continue. Um, it's, it can be very difficult. And what I've been trying to do is take it apart. Uh, we're not always going to inch through Romans two verses at a time, okay? Next week, uh, I, I intend to go from verse 8 to verse 15, which is going to be a marvelous advancement compared to the way we've been going so far. Uh, so, you know, it, we're, we're going to take our time when we need to take our time and, and we will take larger passages when I think we can take larger passages. But 
in the, the in these first seven verses, I've been arguing that Paul has these two twin themes, if you will, that are twisted very tightly together. You know, kind of like the top of the coat hanger illustration that I gave a couple of weeks ago, and um, those themes are uh, authority and the gospel. And hopefully we're seeing those things in there. When we turn to verse 5, Paul again points to the source of his authority. He tells us that it is through Christ, um, supplying Christ there. Christ is the antecedent of the word whom. It is through Christ that he had received grace and apostleship. So what we see here is Paul has not just decided one day uh, he didn't wake up and get out of bed one day and stretch his arms and say, okay, I think I'm going to be an apostle. Uh, he has told us that much in verse 1, hasn't he? He says back in verse 1 that he has been called to be an apostle, that he's set apart for the gospel of God. Now, God has given us his word with an amazing and incredible economy. I mean, I'm always amazed at the way I, st when, when I study God's word, I'm amazed by how much God says through the, uh, the inspired biblical author, how much he says with one single sentence. In other words, God doesn't inspire the biblical author to ramble on and on and on, uh, to belabor his subject, uh, to uh, just add words uh, and not like many authors okay you know the manuscript is, is good but it's short of the required words so let's throw in some fluff here let's throw in some fluff there and let's get the word count up where it belongs well that really um, actually um, frustrates the reader doesn't it okay you've taken up X amount of time here and you've said nothing I only have so much time God doesn't do that in his word he doesn't do that at all so when we find the same thing being said three times in the space of five verses, the biblical author is not belaboring his subject. He's emphasizing it. And he's emphasizing it for a purpose. Uh, Paul is emphasizing the fact that he didn't just wake up one day and decide and take it upon himself that he's going to be a preacher of the gospel. That's not what he did. He did not appoint himself to this. He has come from God through Christ. Now, I've already developed that. I developed that in the first message. Uh, why am I doing it again? Am I belaboring this subject? I hope not. Uh, just, but, but just before we move on, I want to show you something that I think is so extraordinarily beautiful here about this. If you, if you look again in verse 5, Paul says that through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. And the first point that I want to make is that this apostleship is a gift. It's a gift to the entire world. It's, 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 it's an extraordinary gift. And it's a gift to each one of us. And I think we all kind of understand that. We might not, we might not, wanna, we might not articulate it like that, but I think we all understand it. And I'll tell you why I think many of us understand it is because in the spring when I would mentioned to some of you and through the summer when I would mentioned to some of you, I think the next series we're going to do is in Romans. And you're, you've got that big smiley face. You know, you look like the Eaton Park cookies, you know. Uh, big smiley face going on. Why did you smile? Why do you light up when... When I say, okay, it's, we're getting back in Romans. Why do you light up? It's because you understand this is a gift, isn't it? This is really, truly great stuff. Well, let me take a minute and, and explain a little more about what I mean as I, as I talk about apostleship being a, a gift. 
If, verse 5 tells us that through Christ, Paul has received grace and apostleship. But let's ask the question here. What is so important about apostleship? Let's just ask that question. Um, in our first study, I originally intended to do this actually in verse 1. I thought, you know, I probably should take a minute and talk about apostleship. And then on further reflection, I thought, no, we'll wait until we get to verse 5 and we'll do it. But a, a few decades ago, I don't think we would have needed to really take that time to explain apostleship. But we live in a day where many of these terms are not only being forgotten, but even when they're recalled, there's a lot of confusion in regards to uh, all of these words that we use all the time. You know, the, the, those uh, who are outside of the church oftentimes accuse us of speaking a strange language. Have you heard that before? You guys talk funny, especially those who might describe themselves as being cynical of the church or skeptical of the church. You guys, you all talk funny. You know, it's like someone wants to travel from here to, to Florida and they ask just, you know, Lord, give me, give me the grace to get to Florida. And then someone jumps up and says, oh, Lord, please grant to them traveling mercies. What in the world is a traveling mercy? That's, so, that's, that's strange. In, in anywhere else outside of the church, who speaks like that? And we do it all the time and we don't think anything about it, do we? We use words like apostleship, we use apostle, we use gospel, we use faith, we use regeneration, sanctification, justification, we like these occasion things, you know. We use all of these, we regeneration, we use all these words. What in the world do they mean? There's not just confusion outside the church on these words, is there? There's confusion inside the church because we don't bother to teach what they are. Um, Last week I argued that the gospel is a good example of a term we use all the time that is so little understood. And I, I, I don't mean to be unkind about the church in the West at all, but I submit to you that the church has practically lost its understanding of the gospel. That's a tall statement, but I make it and I stand behind it. And if there's anybody in any doubt about that here, just go out and do what I did once upon a time. Just ask people who you know have gone to church. Ask those ones who have gone for, for a long time. And just ask them a simple question. Could you tell me what is the gospel? And take note of the answers you get. You're going to discover there's a tremendous confusion about these. So uh, those of us who preach and teach need to be reminded of this, that we need to explain these terms. So what is an apostle? Uh, let me define it in two ways. Um, we, we could think of it in a broad way. We could think of it in a narrow way. Uh, broadly speaking, an apostle is simply one who is sent, uh, a messenger. Uh, a messenger who is not only sent, but sent with the authority of the one who sent him. So broadly speaking, we could say an apostle is a messenger. Now, narrowly speaking, uh, an apostle in, New Testament, in the New Testament would be one of the 12 disciples. Would be one of the 12 disciples. That would be probably the most narrow way uh, that we would use it. And you'll recall that during his earthly ministry, after much prayer, Jesus, he calls to himself 12 men and he calls them to be with him. Uh, to learn from him, to go in and out with him uh, through the course of his entire ministry. And uh, these, these folks are generally referred to as disciples in the New Testament. It's not until after 
Jesus' resurrection, where we see more uh, rhetoric where they're being called uh, apostles. Uh, apostles. But in Acts chapter 1, we learn a lot about the qualifications of an apostle. In Acts chapter 1, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the disciples, had already betrayed Jesus. And the apostles got together and said, you know, we need to, we need to think of, we've got to replace him. We need to think of a replacement here. And uh, these qualifications for the replacement are spelled out in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Uh, there we're told that the replacement must be, quote, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. And listen to this. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So the apostle, according to these verses, must be a man who would have been an eyewitness, really practically, of Jesus' entire earthly ministry. He had to be there when Jesus was baptized by the very hands of John the Baptist all the way through to the very end. Now, uh, this greatly limits the candidates, doesn't it? Greatly limits the candidates. Uh, they're limited to this first generation, first of all. It's limited to this generation. I mean, verses 21 and 22 make it clear that uh, the office of apostle was a temporary office. It's a temporary office. I mean, it could not be perpetuated because this limited group of people would die off. And in fact, James is one of the first ones. James is killed by Herod in Acts chapter 12. We have the, the, the record of this. And no attempt is made to replace James in the New Testament. It's a temporary office. And as we begin to understand the function of this office, we, we also begin to understand why it's, uh, uh, there's no reason for its continuance. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, explains, he tells us in chapter 2 that the church is, quote, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the apostles would be called by God through Christ to be witnesses of his resurrection, to be preachers of the gospel, to be administrators of the early church, and in many cases, especially in the case of Paul, to go and plant churches uh, and eventually oversee the writing of the New Testament. Does that make sense? I mean, now, let us not forget one of the marks of an apostle, which was the what the New Testament calls uh, uh, signs and wonders. You know, that, that little phrase we get in the New Testament called signs and wonders. They perform miracles. Uh, they perform miracles. And again, this is necessary. I mean, the, the God is oftentimes in the scriptures when miracles are being performed, uh, God is giving new revelation. He's giving, he's giving uh, more scripture. He's, giving a, he's adding to his, his word at this point. And uh, the, the miracles authenticate the message, don't they? Uh, they authenticate the message. So once the New Testament is completed, uh, this really is no longer necessary. Now, beyond the 12 apostles, there are a few others uh, who are called to be apostles. The one of whom, of course, is the apostle Paul. And he is called by Christ out on that Damascus road. Uh, Paul saw the risen Lord. 
he had communion with the risen Lord and he was commissioned to be an apostle uh, to the Gentiles. All of this to say is that Paul um, is a tremendous gift. Uh, apostleship is a tremendous gift. I mean, um, Paul brought the gospel message to lost souls all over the known world. Here we are nearly 2,000 years later studying his writings. And uh, I'm not saying this to gloat over the Apostle Paul. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this to gloat over the Apostle Paul. You see, when the Father gives us something, it's a gift. You know, it's, it, it's, it's something that should be precious to us. But we should never love it more than we love the giver. In fact, what makes it so precious is the fact that it's been given to us by God. And this apostleship, which is the foundation of the church, is a gift that's been given to us to build us up. So as we turn to Romans, we're turning to the product of, of a gift. We're turning to a gift, a gift that's been given to us by Jesus. And it's a gift that has a purpose. That's the next point that I want to make. Um, back to Romans 1.5, if you will. Paul says that he had, quote, received grace and apostleship to bring about what? The obedience of faith. Here's the purpose. It's to bring about the obedience of faith. You know, this morning as I preach and teach, um, it, it, in Western America, in many places, all over the place actually, I think a lot of times it's thought that the goal of preaching is to lead people into a state of grace, to, the, 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 that we preach, and the whole goal is to, to get people saved, if you will. And this really follows... In American history, it follows what we might call frontier theology or a kind of a frontier uh, kind of mindset. And, and the idea is we, we, we preach and we labor to get people to make a decision for Jesus. And then what do we do after that? Everybody's good to go. You see, preaching and teaching has a goal that goes further than that, much further than that. And we, we learn it right here. It's to bring about what? The obedience of faith. I mean, the purpose of preaching the gospel is to make disciples. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. You see? So the, the purpose here is to make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's someone who has embraced Jesus, has embraced his teaching, has embraced his commandments out of love for him, uh, is following him and embracing all of these precepts and statutes that he has given. Jesus puts it this way. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my what? My commandments, John 14 and verse 15. Now, our culture at large does not find the idea of obedience very attractive, does it? I might even say Americans at large don't find obedience very attractive. Uh, this is a tough sale, isn't it? Uh, without God's grace, it's actually an impossible sale. But, um, I mean, reason with me here. I mean, this may, this may be something you find helpful. Maybe it's something you don't find helpful. But uh, I think most people that you will talk to 
who acknowledge God's existence, and this won't be everybody that you talk to, but I think most people that you talk to who are willing to acknowledge God's existence would be willing to acknowledge that God is perfect. Does that sound reasonable? Not everybody will. Uh, especially some people who maybe have been hurt very deeply or folks that are very, you know, very sensitive as we, we should be to suffering in this world. They might be inclined to say that God is not perfect because if He was perfect, He'd end the suffering. And that, that's a whole sermon for another day. But generally speaking, when you talk with people who are willing to acknowledge that God exists, uh, they, they're also willing to acknowledge that God is perfect. Now, if we're willing to acknowledge that God is perfect, we should have no problem admitting that to become perfect is to become like Him. Does that make sense? Did you get that? If we're willing to admit that God is perfect, then we shouldn't have too much of a problem admitting that to become perfect is to become like Him. Does that sound reasonable? Like reasonable logic? Uh, I mean, the Scriptures teach us that God is infinitely perfect, holy in all His ways. I mean, just look at Isaiah 6, for instance, the first few verses in Isaiah 6, and look at how the seraphim, the, the, these mighty angels, they praise Him and they cry out to Him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And um, so my argument is to become perfect is to become like, like God. And as we turn to Jesus, uh, we find that, you know, Jesus is not only God, but He's also He's also robed in, in the garment of flesh, isn't he? He's not only fully God, he's fully man. And as we read the Gospels, as we read John, as we read Mark, as we read Matthew and Luke, we see all these stories where Jesus is conducting himself as a perfect human being, isn't he? Well, if you want to know how a perfect human being would conduct themselves, turn to Jesus, look to Jesus. And you're going to have the example of, uh, of, of a perfect human being. And it's beautiful, isn't it? It is beautiful. I mean, the gospel is the good news about Jesus coming not only to take sins away, not only to take our sins away, but to restore perfection to humanity. To restore perfection to humanity. That's a, a wonderful thought. I mean, Jesus comes to bring true saving faith. One of the effects of true saving faith is love for God's ways. You know, we might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, do I have true saving faith? Do I have true saving faith? Can you say with the psalmist, oh Lord, I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. That's a good mark, a good indication that you have received true Saving faith. Do you love the Word of God? Now, we can love the Word of God and not love God. That is very, that's very, 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 very possible. As you ask yourself, do I love the, do I love the Word of God? And the answer is yes. Okay, do you love it because it's God's Word? Do you love it because it's His? Do you love it because it's Christ's? And when we love, when, when we love God's ways... We imitate them, don't we? I mean, we imitate those who we look up to. You almost can't help it. You, you, you know, you go into university or go into college and, and, and you know, you, this won't happen with every professor you have. But once in a while, a professor will come a long way and he said, man, I just really, I really admire him or I really admire her. 
And the next thing you know, before long, you're, you're imitating them. That's what we do. We do that with our parents. We do that with siblings. We do, that's what we do. Guess what? When, when, when Christ works, saving faith into our hearts, we embrace God's ways. And we imitate Him. And that produces obedience, doesn't it? It produces obedience. Does it make sense? Some of your faces are looking like, you know, it's not making sense. Is it okay? Okay. Well, this actually is really describing what the Bible calls repentance, isn't it? I mean, God says through Isaiah, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now, he's speaking to people who have their backs to him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to say turn. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. And this idea of turning, you see, is repentance. We're, we're moving in this direction, which is away from God. We hear the call to turn. Uh, that, that call is applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we, by the grace of God, turn. So now we're facing God. Turn to me and be saved, all of you ends of the earth. And this there's the new appetite that develops in our heart. It's an appetite for the ways of God, an appetite for righteousness, an appetite for what is right and and what is what is wrong. Um, so with the eyes of the of faith, a person can now see a better way, can see an alternative. They can see that it's in their best interest to turn. And I would submit to you this is a gift. This is a tremendous gift. I mean, just look at the changes that are taking place as you look around you. Think, Just think for a moment individually. Think of the changes that have taken place in your own life since Jesus has come into it. Staggering, isn't it? What a precious gift. I mean... You look at our culture, you don't see really any concern for what is right. That's one of the things that are really is really scaring me about the hour that we're in right now is, you know, things will make the news that are hideous and they're they're abominable. And the major concern isn't whether that's right or it's wrong. The morality, the the, the nature of the of the news, the, the nature of it being moral or, or amoral is not really brought up into too much. It's not, there's not a, a wholesale concern for that. Um, it's a very dangerous place. Uh, the concern really is for personal agenda, but Christ comes, he, he grants us a changed heart. He produces a love for what is right. A love for what, what is right here. Um, and as we grow in our obedience, we will be more and more like Christ. And I submit to you that that is indeed a, Tremendous gift. It's a gift with a purpose, isn't it? Obedience of faith. Now, let's look at the third thing. We've looked at a gift. And a gift really is, I think, the overarching theme this morning. We've looked at a gift. We've looked at the purpose. The purpose is obedience. Obedience to Christ. Obedience to God's ways. And thirdly, if you look back with me to Romans 5, we're going to see that there is a cause. Paul has received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. For, this, for the sake of His name. I mean, there's a wonderful cause here. Uh, the cause is for the sake of His 
name. Now, when the Bible uses the word name in these types of contexts, sometimes name is synonymous, practically synonymous for God himself. Other times, name is pointing to God's glory, his his fame, his reputation, uh, uh, some of his uh, various attributes. Let me give you a couple examples. Psalm 1849, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Or Psalm 68, 4, sing to God, sing praises to his name. See these passages are in parallel here. Uh, Conversely, uh, Psalm 74, 18, remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles uh, your name. Or Psalm 86, 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, I will glorify your name forever. And here we see, if you study those passages closely, you see in some contexts that the name is practically synonymous with God himself and others, it's, it's pointing to his glory. Sometimes it's difficult to determine which is which. Maybe sometimes both are in view. Um, now, I, I think we can relate quite well with this idea because each of us has a name. And we do promote that name, don't we? And we protect that name. Um, I would say that as a culture, one of the things that we are obsessed with is what people think of us. Absolutely obsessed with what people think about us. I mean, are we too fat? Are we too thin? Are we too tall? Are we too short? Are we smart enough? Are we performing well enough at this category? Are we performing as good as this person? Are we performing better than that person? And then down the list you go. What kind of car are we driving? Is it the right car? Is it the right house? Away we go. There's no end. And these concerns show a great concern for personal glory, personal reputation, personal honor. We are really intensely on about ourselves, aren't we? We're intensely on about ourselves. So what is the cause? The cause is self. That's the leading religion in the United States right now, I would submit to you. The leading religion is the religion of self. Self reigns king and self reigns queen in this land. But Christ has come to set us free from that tyrant of self. And self is indeed a tyrant. It is a tyrant. Christ has come to set us free and he's given us a new cause. And instead of living for our name, we live for his name. I think to understand this concept is to think, you know, all that stuff that I do for my own name, I should quit it and do it for his. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? It's another thing to put into practice, isn't it? Without God's grace, we'll make no progress in that one. That's a very difficult thing to let go of. But let let me offer some help here. Nobody finds selfishness attractive. I was thinking about this earlier yesterday. I'm thinking, I can't think of anybody that says, you know, oh, I just love this guy. He's so selfish. (laughs) I just love her, you know. She's always thinking about her instead of me, you know. It's just great. This is going to be a wonderful marriage. I just can't wait. Will you marry me, Pastor? Will you do the wedding for us? I haven't heard that one yet. And even those who are obsessed 
with themselves. And this is a varying degree. I'm not submitting we're all equally obsessed with ourselves here. But even those of us who are like so obsessed with ourselves, they don't like the looks of selfishness either. It's hideous. It's hideous. But God comes to us. Christ comes to us. And he works his grace in us. And he says, listen, unless you deny yourself, and take up your cross daily, and follow me, you can't be my disciple. You see, that's that. That's letting. That's that's getting rid of that self. But selflessness is beautiful. Selfishness is hideous. But selflessness is gorgeous. You want to be gorgeous? Quit obsessing over the shape of your body. And live for the cause of his name. Live for Jesus. I don't care what shape your body is. If you live for Jesus, you'll be beautiful. You will be gorgeous. Not only in the sight of others, but in the sight of God as well. Amen. I've come to you this morning with a gift. The gift of apostleship's a gift because it's been given to us by God through Christ. Christ makes the gift so precious. It's all about Christ. Apostleships, the apostles point us to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is always the focal point of the gospel. He is always the center of the gospel. He is the glorious one. He has given us a gift. I come to you this morning with a purpose to make you a follower of Jesus. I make no apologies about this. When I come up to this pulpit this morning, I did so with a purpose. And that's to make, it is to influence you by God's grace to obey God closer, to obey him more, to rid your life of those things that are disobedient to God. That's the purpose. That's what we're on about. I pray that God will influence all of us, myself included. To follow hard after him. To follow hard after him. And I come to you this morning in the name of a cause, and it's for the sake of his name. There, there is, listen, a good cause will motivate us, won't it? There's no cause greater than this one to roll your sleeves up. This is the greatest of causes. For the sake of his name. Who, the his, whose name? His name. Who? The one who's given us life. The one who's given us children. The one who has given us all of our loved ones in our life. Everything that is good that we have has been given to us by him. It's for the sake of his name. And here's a cause that's worth any sacrifice he could ask us to make. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, your kindness. We thank you, Father, for this gift, the gift of apostleship, which points to you. We thank you, Father, for this purpose. We see, Father, very clearly we're reminded of what, of what this is all about. It's to bring about obedience of faith. And, Father, we see the cause. The cause is for, for your glory. It's for the sake of your name. Well, Father, we know these things. I don't think that very many of us is learning anything new this morning. We know these things, but we thank you, Father, for reminding us. And, Father, even though we know these things, we still, Father, we need your grace to push us to guide us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, uh, to lead us in this direction, Father. So, Lord, we do thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.